0: So this is it, the final week of the Roman series. It's been so much fun. Boo! Well, we can't add chapters to it. That wouldn't work. Anyway, uh, it's been a great series. I personally uh, have loved teaching through it. I love the challenge. Uh, I have been inspired uh, to go deeper in the book of Romans, to love better. Uh, So I just hope that you've had the same experience. Uh, I want to remind you, encourage you, if you missed any of the Sundays, Uh, You can go back and listen to any of the Sunday messages online. As a matter of fact, you can even subscribe online and get every single message as a podcast and keep up with those messages. But I want to encourage you to do that so that you get the the full array of what we taught through in Romans. Uh, If you like listening to Sunday sermons, uh, today is your day. Because today I have a sermon, but then I have a sermon after the sermon. So you're going to get two sermons today. Uh, some of you are already uh, grimacing, but some of you are happy about that. Uh, but what I want to do is draw your attention to uh, the beginning of chapter 16, and then after we talk about that for a couple of minutes, then we're going to transition and we're going to talk about the opening verses in chapter 15. So grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 16, page 70, if you're still using your journals, and I hope that you are. You guys like the journals? Has that been helpful for you? Like having those? Okay. Okay, I'll take that as a sort of... This is sort of like John's if you were at the thing. The, what, what did he call those? The uh, Hot takes. Yeah, no matter what he said, we got both boos and yays. So anyway, I, just for the record, I disagreed with every single one of his hot takes. And he still works here, so that's good. Anyway, Romans 16, page 70 in your journals. We are going to have journals for Revelation as well, just so you know. So I'm glad some of you like it. We're on page 950. Bible's under your seat. Encourage you have... A journal with you. Have your Bibles with you. If you are at home, I encourage you to have a Bible in front of you. Underline key words. Underline key phrases. Write in the margin of your Bible. Interact with the Word of God. It will help you to remember, but it will also help you to navigate the Scriptures uh, better and better and better. So, we are looking at Romans chapter sixteen, uh, and as it's very typical of Paul, when he gets to the end of all of his letters, he takes the time to thank. And recognizes the people who are having an impact in his ministry. And he's telling the recipients of the letter to pay attention to these individuals, to honor these individuals because they are helping him to advance the kingdom of God. And when you get to uh, Romans 16.1, uh, uh, he is thanking someone that, f- for many of you, this is going to come across as being something new or maybe even surprising to you. So look at Romans 16.1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in the way worthy of saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Here's what I want you to see. The letter of Romans which many people, many scholars believe this is Paul's magnum opus. This is his, his grand finale of writing. All of that he's learned, everything that he's, he's, he's learned along the way, he's now written into Romans, written to this very influential church that's going to have a major impact in church history. That letter is entrusted to a woman. Right? She Yes. She is not only entrusted to deliver the letter, not like a mailman would deliver the letter, but she is entrusted to orally deliver the letter of Romans. We live in a, they lived in a, in a society that was a, a, the, the word was passed on orally. Everybody didn't know how to read. So these letters that we read in the New Testament, they were sent out and they were to be read or memorized and recited to the local churches. A woman was entrusted with the message to the Roman people. And the reason it's worth pointing is that because it begs the question, remember, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who is sending this letter, and it feels like if we know the Scriptures, that Paul is contradicting himself. So if you think about 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul is writing to his friend Timothy about the church in Ephesus, and he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. When we take one verse, I say this all the time, but when you take a verse in scripture out of context and you don't see it in the full biblical narrative, and you make that verse mean what you want it to mean, then we get ourselves in trouble. Paul is giving Timothy specific instructions to a specific church in Ephesus. In this particular church, was, had this proliferation, the, not the church itself, but the, the culture around the church. There was a proliferation of the worshiping of the fertility sex goddess Artemis. And women in that culture were elevated to a place of extreme dominance over the men. The men were literally castrating themselves in frenzied worship. So there's something more going on in the culture that Paul's instructions are getting at. Furthermore, there is a word in this passage, this word here that says authority. This word is only found one time in the entire Bible. And what we know from, from the discovery of ancient languages, the word that's, tra- that's translated authority actually means usurp authority Right, so so that means something very different than just authority, or it could also mean abuse authority. Now read that differently if you if you translate it that way. I do not per- I do not permit a woman to abuse authority over a male. I do not permit a woman to usurp authority over a male. That person, she, should remain silent. It's a very different meaning when we understand the context of the verse. And some of you are saying if why are we talking about this when we're supposed to be studying Romans? Because it's in Romans. Right? Because chapter 16 is making it crystal clear that Phoebe, a woman, has a significant leadership role. Right? That she's been entrusted with a, with a specific task within the church. And the thing is, she's not alone. Go back. Read that last part of of chapter 16 and pay attention to how many of the names of individuals are women. As a matter of fact, go back and just read the end of the epistles from Paul. How many times he recognizes and gives credit to the women who played an incredibly important role in the early church leadership. And what I want you to hear is we need to see the church, the early church, the way it actually was. Not necessarily the way we've been taught or the way we've often believed it to be. Okay, that's your sermon before the sermon. Hopefully your Bibles are still open. Turn to Romans chapter 15. I've asked Meg to come up and she's going to read our passage for us today. Uh, We're going to read verses 1 through 7 in Romans 15. And what Meg is about to read is, by many experts, considered to be the heart of the gospel. The reason for the writing of the gospel comes out in that. And there's a mandate in here, which really is, summarizing everything that we've been learning for the last 14 weeks. It's a mandate for all of us to understand and live into. So why don't you stand as Meg reads Romans 15, verses 1 through 7.
1: A reading from the book of Romans, chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you. Will you pray for us?
1: Sure. Father, thank you so much for this uh, just this journey through Romans and how much we have learned about you and your ways. And I ask that you would help us to hold on um, to what you've been showing us about ourselves and what you've been showing us about your larger story. And help us by your spirit uh, to follow you and to be an expression of of who you are to others. Um, We love you, Father. And we just thank you um, for your son. And for this opportunity to uh, open our hearts as you reveal yourself more. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, uh, I don't want to bring any embarrassment, but can we take that little person into the lobby for a few minutes? It's pretty distracting. Thank you. Sorry. I've never done that before, but sometimes I'm having a hard time staying focused here. So I appreciate that. Do it for me. Uh, To fully understand Romans 15 we have to understand it in the context of Romans 14. So this is a continuation of last week's message in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Last week, if you remember one of my main points, and it's the very beginning of, of chapter 14, Paul uses these words. He says, do not argue over opinion, right? Do not argue over opinion. And so what Paul is telling us is that in the first century church, the church was bitterly divided over issues that he would call non-essential issues, right? These are, are things that didn't change the heart of the gospel. In this case, as we read through chapters 14 and get into 15, those non-essential issues were things like practicing Sabbath or not practicing Sabbath or uh, observing holy days or not observing holy days, or uh, participating in the dietary restrictions of the law, or not participating in the dietary restrictions. These are actual examples that Paul uses in chapter 14. Or drinking wine, or not drinking wine, right? And and so there's all these non-essentials in the early church. But we have our own non-essentials that have created division in the church literally for centuries, Right? And, and we can, the list of those can go on and on. But, but things like music preference has been a dividing factor for years. Preaching style. Uh, I have had uh, intense conversations with people about whether or not we should use haze or not, you know, that fog machine. Like that. Somehow that stirs people up. Like we want to argue about haze machines or no haze machines, altar calls or no altar calls. The list goes on. I actually heard a story this week. Uh, about a church that actually split over the color to paint the the sanctuary. They didn't argue about it. They split over what color to paint the sanctuary or heated arguments over where the piano should be on the stage. Or I've seen division in the church over baptism, how it should be done, what words should be spoken when baptism happens, spiritual gifts and God forbid political alliances and the list goes on. Right there. There are traditions that we come out of. There are opinions that we hold. And Paul is writing to us and saying, do not argue about your opinions, right? Or as Pastor Kevin pointed out last, when he preached a few weeks ago, he said, don't trip over tradition and miss God's transition. So much of what we want to argue about is just what we're used to. It's our tradition, what we came out of. It's what we prefer. This is what happened in the early church. And this has been happening in every generation of the church since. So we get to chapter 15. And Paul is writing for us. Here's the antidote. right? Here's the path to unity. If you want to be the church that God has called you to be, this is the path that you have to follow. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 in, in chapter 15 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please Ourselves. I think the language of strong and, strong and weak when you read 14 and 15, it almost reads kind of like a little bit arrogant. We the strong need to put up with you the weak. But really, what he's saying is the mature believer as opposed to the immature believer. And the point he's trying to make right here in, in verse 1 is that the burden of unity falls more on the mature believer than it does on the immature believer. Let me say that one more time. The majority or the burden of, of unity within the church falls on the mature believer more than the immature believer. He's saying those of you who are stronger in your faith, right? Those of you who are more mature should lead the way in unity. You are to model something. You are to actually go out of your way to prefer the needs and desires of other peoples above your own. You are to bear with. That's what that that word means. It means to to bear with. It means to prefer one another. One of our core values here at Grace is that we want to be a church where the people of Grace, not just those who work at Grace, but as a people, we are others-focused. And we define that as sacrificing self in order to prefer one another's. When we talk about that, that one value, we use Philippians 2.4 as our mandate. Let each of you, each follower of Jesus, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of, interests of others. We could have just as easily used Romans 15.1 because it's saying exactly the same thing. All right, prudence, because you're always the first to say it. Our mission statement here is She's the best. She's like a great student, always in the front row, gets it right. Right. We are a mosaic striving to look, live like Jesus. Look at verse 3, chapter 15, verse 3. It says, For Christ did not please himself, he showed us the way. Right? You got to live like Jesus. You got to love like Jesus. You got you to see people the way Jesus saw people and move towards people the way Jesus moved towards people. And one of the primary ways he did that was laying down his own wants, right? And the way we are called to move towards people is to lay down our own wants, our own preferences. That's the word I want you to hold on today, our desires for others, one of the most difficult aspects of leading this church and of us being a mosaic, so we define that mosaic as black and white, rich and poor, young and old. And one of the things I've learned over the last several years, actually North help me to see this is one of the difficulties of our particular mosaic is that so many people come out of a vast array of past religious experiences so in this room we have people who came out of a baptistic sort of background we got people that came out of a pentecostal sort of background we have people who came out of a high church liturgical sort of background and then they 're here in this church which isn 't very liturgical at all we have people that came out of singing hymns people that get, what came with all of that even just the tradition of how those churches were done is those became our traditions, right? Those are the things that, interestingly enough, we still prefer or desire in some ways. One of the most divisive preferences that I have experienced in the church is worship our desire to have worship the way we want worship. And here's what I would say to you, that, that if you choose your church because they sing what you want them to sing, the way you want them to sing it every Sunday, that's great. But you need to know there's a whole group of people that don't prefer what you prefer, right? And, and so, so we just need to be aware of that. So I tell this story. I tell it every time I do Discover Grace, it comes up. Uh, but it 's bear 's repeating. I was sitting right there in the row that Robbie 's sitting in, and I was just sitting there, and uh, i don 't know how to say this kindly, but the worship that Sunday didn 't work for me at all i didn 't like it i wasn 't enjoying. It. as a matter of fact, I really didn 't like it. And so, as I sat there, I was sort of sulking, and I was thinking to myself i don 't have to put up with this because i 'm the boss." Everyone up there reports to me. Look, I'm not, not an example of good leadership here. This is a confession, but it's a story of confession. I'm soaking, and I'm making my plan as I sit there of how I'm going to make the changes to get the worship that I prefer. Right? Meg and I had invited a new couple over to our house that day for lunch. So as I got home, I was in the driveway. They pulled in the driveway. Uh, they get out of the car. The woman gets out. Still tears, literally tears running down her cheek. And she says, Pastor Doug, that was the most powerful worship experience I have ever had in my life. And the Holy Spirit says, it's time to grow up, Doug. It's really not about you. Right? Sometimes the worship isn't for you. But sometimes you have to prefer... Someone else in the room, I can tell you, we have different worship leaders. It's different week after week. When people are new at Grace the first time, like, I love the worship. I always say, well, come back for a few weeks because it changes week to week. Why is that? Because we're trying to say, look, we don't have one style of worship. We want to prefer one another. We, want, we know that there's, there's weeks where it's going to be in your sweet spots and weeks where it isn't. But that's okay because it's a way we can lay down our wants and desires to prefer one another. That's just one area. It's worth noting that this idea of preferring one another's it, it's counterculture. Like we, we literally live in a culture now where when you want something, you can take out your phone, you can click a button, you can open a website, you can click buy now, and sometimes by the end of the day, it's on your doorstep. If not by the end of the day, within a day or two, it's, it's a miracle, I don't even know how that works. Actually, I do have a pretty good idea it works. But but what it's created in us is I get what I want when I want it. I click a button. We live in a society that is so caught up in self gratification. So preferring one another isn't going to come natural. It's going to require intentionality. It's actually going to require you to think about, oh, this is just my preference, my opinion. And if I'm the mature believer in this relationship, then I need to lay that down and see the needs and the preferences of others above my own. This applies to the church, but I can tell you, it applies to your home. Like, it's a good lesson to even teach your older children about the younger children. Like, sometimes the older kids have to sacrifice what they want for the three-year-old in the room, right? But we're the same way, and we don't even do it within the church or within our family, this idea of laying down our preferences. Now, just in case some of you are thinking, well, this is all good and well, Doug, but it's not how Jesus did it. I just want to make sure you see this is absolutely the Jesus way. So Matthew 16, 24. Jesus told his disciples that if anyone, pretty all-inclusive, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You are, if you've said yes to Jesus, one of his disciples. And Jesus said, if you, Doug, want to come after me, right, if you wane, Want to come after me? If you, Joy, want to come after me? If you, Kevin or Kayla, want to follow me? And listen to what that, think about that word. If you want to come after me, if you want to go where I'm going, if you want to be where I am, if you want to follow in my footsteps, you have to deny what you want. You have to deny your own preferences. Pick up your cross and follow Christ. But the question is, how do we do it? How do we bear with one another's burdens? How do do we actually do it? You know, we do it when we give to missions and mobilization. When you can give and we can sit across the room with Kiara and teach her how to read, we're bearing her burden, right? We're helping her to overcome something that she needs, and we do it in the name of Jesus. So when you are tutoring, you are bearing with one another's burdens. When you give, and we have a chance to pull some young girl out of sex trafficking in India, you are helping to bear one another's burdens. But you can bear somebody's burdens just by being present with them when they are going through a difficult season. Like just literally to be with people, not to fix them, but to just be beside them when things are difficult. You are helping to bear the weight of the burden that they have. When you give your full attention to them, when you just become a good listener, not a fixer, don't listen to people trying to think, boy, I guess God, God tell me something really clever to say here. Don't even bother that. Just be a good listener. And when you listen well, you bear with them in their burdens, Talked about it. When you give generously, you're helping to bear one another's burdens. I thought about this one quite a bit this week when I was writing this. I think one of the ways as a church that we can bear one another's burdens is when we see someone who is the primary caregiver of somebody else who is Struggling. So it could be uh, someone who's taking care of an ailing parent, or maybe an ailing spouse, or maybe even a sick child, and their whole life is wrapped around being a caregiver in that season. One of the ways we could bear that burden is to step in and say, Allow me to be the caregiver for a few hours so you can go care for yourself. Right? We can come along people and we can help them. I love it when you think about this. Jesus made our problem his problem. And so one of the ways we bear the burdens of others is when we do the same thing, when we make their problem our problem. If you look at verse 3, sorry for we in the back, I'm jumping all over the place with the slides, but keep up with me if you can. Verse 3 says, for Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, this is taken out of the Psalms, but it's a messianic sort of prophecy. The reproaches of the people that reproach God fell on Jesus. He made our problem his problem. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. So when we find practical ways of making their problems our problems, then we bear their burdens. One of the things that came out Thursday when we did the sermon run through and conversation, Josh Munoz pointed this out to me, and I hadn't really thought of it, but he's absolutely right. He said, you know, Pastor Doug, we can't really do this unless we know what the burdens are. And so people need to be sort of encouraged to share their burdens in the context of community so that we can step in. Funny, I had a conversation in the lobby, and I was telling the person, you need to tell us that you need help. And she started to cry She said, it's so hard to have needs. It's so hard to tell people that I need this. I get that, but we can't help you if you're not sharing. What do I say all the time? You cannot walk faithfully with Jesus in isolation. Share the burdens. Tell us what they are and allow us, the church, to come alongside you. All right. Key to unity, the path that Paul is giving us to to be united as a church. Prefer one another, bear one another's burdens, and then look at verse 4, there's more. It says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, the Bible, we might have hope. The Scriptures are there for our benefit. Right. If we endure in them, that means if we hold true to them, if we, if we do the things we know to be true in the Scriptures, and we use them appropriately to encourage others, it will foster unity. Encouraging one another in the Word is a powerful way to minister to one another. And in the process, not only does it create unity, but the passage says it gives us hope, it builds hope. So we prefer one another. We bear with one another, brothers. Bear with one another's burdens and encourage one another with the word. And here's what that means it means you have to know the word. You got to spend time in the word. You got you to allow the word to do a good work in you before it can be used to minister to somebody else. As you endure in the word, you can then encourage others with the word. Be agents of hope. I love it. When people have a passage for me. When people say, hey, Pastor Doug, I, I've been praying for you or I've been thinking about that situation. I just feel like God has given me a passage of scripture for you. It encourages me. It, it causes me to have more of a, a heart connection with that person. You ever have somebody that, that was good at this? A lot of you are going to remember Rock Bottomley. Yes, that's his real name. But he was on staff here a little while as a mentoring pastor. He was the master of this. He would sit. He would listen intently. And then he would say, I think the Lord has given me a passage of scripture. First of all, he knew the word. So he could tell you what the scripture was and where it was located right away. But it was amazing the depth of scriptures that he could pull out. And he could say, Doug, I, I think God has given me a passage of scripture for you. And he would give it to me and it would be exactly what I needed, right? Exactly at the time that I needed it. And you know what? It would give me hope. But you know what else it did? It helped my relationship with rock. It caused us to have a deeper, better relationship. That's what this passage is telling us, that we can encourage one another, that we can build one another up, that we can create a greater sense of unity and a greater sense of hope when we use the word to minister to one another. So prefer one another, bear one another's burdens, and encourage one another with the word. But the question remains, why does all this matter Why is Paul making such a big deal about unity in the book of Romans? Why is unity so critical for the church in Rome or Grace Community Church here in Detroit for that matter? And here's the reason. We cannot reach our redemptive potential as a church. We cannot reach our redemptive potential until we are united in Christ. United despite... Our differences. United even though we have different preferences, different traditions. United above race, and God forbid, united above politics or traditions. Here's the deal. We could have the best worship experience in the country. Like, we could have the most riveting, entertaining sermons in the country. We could have world-class children's or youth ministries. We could grow the church to 10,000 members. But none of it would matter if we aren't one in Christ. It would all be a facade. It would be a straw house. The scriptures actually say it would be a Noisy gong and a clanging cymbal because unity matters. When Jesus was in the garden and he prayed for his church, he didn't pray for better pastors. He didn't pray for better worship. He didn't pray for bigger buildings. You know what he prayed? I pray that they would be one just as you and I are one. And then he said, so that the world would know our unity is our witness we cannot reach our redemptive potential on this corner until we are united in christ verse 5 says live in such harmony verse 6 we are to be together with one voice so that, make sure you see this, it's right here in black and white. So that, last part of verse 6, so that we will glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Westminster Catechism. A long document that has lots of questions, and those questions are answered. But one of the very first questions is, what is the chief end of man? They're asking the question, why do, why do people exist? Why do humans exist? Why do you exist? What is your purpose? Why, what is the very reason? It is a question that is echoed throughout humanity Forever right? It's probably the most important question you can answer for yourself. Why do I exist? What is my purpose? Why did God make me? And the answer to the question, what is the chief end of man, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But it begs the question, what does it mean to glorify God? There's a definition of glorify up there, and it says to make glorious. Now, I was always taught in school you couldn't use the word in the definition, so, but it was in there, so I had to write it that way. To make glorious or cause to appear, to give to God the worship and reverence which are his due, to praise or honor someone or something to an extreme degree, and this is where I want you to just land today, to acknowledge greatness and make that greatness known to others. What does it mean to glorify God? It means to acknowledge God for who He is and His greatness, and in the process, make who He is and His greatness known to others. When I hear the word glorify, I always think of the word to make God known or to make God famous. That's just my personal working definition when I read through the scriptures. What does it mean to glorify God? To make Him known? to make God famous. By the way I live, by the way I worship, by the way I represent him, by the way I make him known to other people, in the way that I talk, to make God famous. And here's the point of Romans. To a church that was bitterly divided, Gentiles... And Jews, so much culture, so much tradition, so much bitterness between those two people groups. Paul is saying, you have to be united, live in harmony, have one voice so that you will glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our unity is our witness. And the key to unity is that we prefer one another, that we go out of our way to bear one another's burdens and that we learn to be in the word so that we can encourage one another with the word. You could almost say that all of Romans is summed up in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, to make God famous. We've spent 14 weeks talking about how God has welcomed us. 14 weeks understanding that we're saved by faith, that it's a gift, that even if you have faith, it's because of the grace of God, like you don't figure it out on your own, that God moved towards you even when you are his enemy, God moved towards you, that you are pursued by a loving God. Who is God? And then he says, welcome everyone the way you've been welcomed and pursued and loved. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, to make God famous. Lord, I thank you for Romans. I thank you for the challenge. I thank you for the last several months. Something began to shift in this place when we were in the the psalm series, and then we went into the minor prophets, began to stir some deep waters in in many of us. As we've traveled through Romans, that seems to have continued. And so, Lord, I I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Take us where you want to take us. Help us to be the church you've called us to be, united, a mosaic, united across all of those possible dividing points, those opinions. Help us to be the church you've called us to be. To advance the kingdom the way you've called us to advance the kingdom. Amen. I have some homework for you over this holiday season. Uh, we're not going to begin Revelation for a few weeks, so you've got a little bit of time to do this. But I encourage you to go back. Uh, If you have been journaling your way through it, go back and look through your journal. If you missed some weeks, I want to encourage you again, go back and listen to those weeks. Maybe there's already a week or two that you just, man, I've I've been thinking about that ever since Bryce preached, ever since Stacy preached, ever since Pastor Kevin preached. That's okay. Go back to that, that particular message. Listen to it. Find one or two takeaways from the series. Write them down and take them with you into the new year. We have a tendency to move on. All right, we're done with Romans, great, let's get to Revelation. But what I want you to do is hang on to something. All right? Put it into, into play, put it into action. Maybe you just need to get your ear pierced. If you don't know what that means, go back and listen to Bryce's message. Hold on to something from the series. I want to close the series by using the last uh, few sentences out of chapter 16. Also common in Paul's uh, letters is he would have this this powerful prayer at the end of his letters and this one is basically saying you are not alone you don't have to figure this out on your own nor do you have to apply it on your own this morning in my quiet time when i was reading my devotional talked about the same spirit that raised jesus from the dead is in you you have everything you need for life and godliness and so paul ends by telling the church in rome i know it's hard look, I know you have lots of different preferences and lots of different traditions. And I know it's been hard to stay united, but you can do it because the Spirit of God is alive in you. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been fun to go through Romans with you. I hope it's been good for you as well. Again, go back, hold on to something from the passage we prayed for you this morning. Uh, one of the themes that was heard is that there's just some people who are really struggling with depression. Uh, we would love to pray over you. If that resonates with you, sometimes this season uh, can be really difficult because of loss or uh, just maybe you don't have fond memories of childhood Christmases and it just stirs all that up. Whatever the reason, maybe it has nothing to do with Christmas. That's okay. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, there was a sense that somebody's struggling with some hip pain, uh, some pain within their right side. We'd love to either of those make sense. We would love to pray for you those for those as well. If you're online right now, there's a couple numbers on your screen. If you'd call the, into those numbers, they'll put you in a private Zoom room where somebody can pray for you in private. If you're here in the room, you don't have to call anybody. You can just come down front and they will pray for you as well. If you are coming down for prayer, if you just kind of go to the far sides, that would be great because I would really like to get rid of all these Krispy Kremes. So if you want a dozen or two dozen Krispy Kremes, please come down and grab them, and then head on out. Merry Christmas to you. See you on New Year or on Christmas Eve or on uh, Christmas Day. God bless you. You're welcome.